Well, I saw the uh, the schedule that Craig put together, and and he had me speaking on the twentieth, a few days before I was about to leave, and I remember thinking, "Wow, that's a long ways off." And, uh, and then we're here. It's kind of an overwhelming day, but I'm very thankful to be here again and to be with you all and have this privilege to talk a little bit about the Word of God. And so let's let's pray. Father, Father, thank you for this church and thank you to be a part of it. And ultimately, your bride, your blood bought people. Thank you, Father, for giving your son. I, I pray we'd never grow old of that, Lord. How, how could we? How dare we ever grow tired of thanking you for giving us your son? And. Just pray your blessing upon this day now for this whole day, Lord. Every soul that's in this building, Lord, you would draw near to them and encourage them. Show them yourself. If they don't know you, have mercy on them, Father, from your abundant, abundant mercy and grace. Lord, there's some here that are, have just been beaten and whipped by the devil, Lord, enslaved to Him and His kingdom in darkness, thinking money is the answer, thinking being saved from all their problems or wicked people around them is the answer, Lord. And I just pray they would see You as the answer, Lord, that they would look to You today and trust in You. I pray, Father, the saints would be encouraged today by these, these verses You've given me, I trust, Lord. And you just allow me to speak. Allow me to say truthful things, Lord. Keep me from saying anything that would be false, anything that would be wrong or, or discouraging. Father, I pray for Your Spirit now that would teach us about Christ. In Jesus' name, Amen. We can turn to 2 Corinthians 12 in your Bibles, please. And uh, I also wanted to mention... Uh, different ones have uh, asked about uh, my truck and what I was going to be doing with it. And so it's Ural's. <laughs> it's at James's house. And if anyone wants to use it, um, just call James. And he's got like a long paper of questions. And uh, something. <laughs> um, but you can just go over and use it. And the only thing that I ask, brethren, is that when you use it, you pray for me. Pray that God would pour out His Spirit upon Nepal and save souls. So yeah, but I think Adrian might use it for the food distribution. I'm not sure, but um, it's at your disposal. So 2 Corinthians 12, and we'll be reading verses 7 through 10. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So the Lord helping. I want to talk about why Paul got into boasting. Because you see at verse 12, or verse 1 of chapter 12, and even at the end of 11, Paul gets into boasting. He says, I must go on boasting. And he gets into this vision of something glorious that happened in heaven. So why is he boasting? And I got two reasons on why it looks like the Lord gave Paul the ability to boast or led Paul to boast. And then I want to look at three reasons of what 
Paul boasted in. So, why is Paul boasting? And 2 Corinthians 12, I, I read this over and over and over just so I get the feel for it, and it's a really amazing letter. It's probably the most emotionally packed letter of the whole New Testament, at least my limited, limited knowledge of the New Testament. I was just gripped at least these past weeks of just how emotionally packed it is, that how much Paul loved these brethren and was just um, pulled here and there with just a desire to see them grow and mature. And uh, so we're really, this letter is really dealing about sanctification and these, these verses here are about sanctification, growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so what a, what a miracle it is, brethren. I, I know you know this, but to be saved, but not only that, to be kept just day after day after day for God to continually grow us and sanctify us and to make it to heaven. And so Paul, Paul was aware of that. Paul knew that very well, that the only way I'm going to make it to be sanctified is by God's power. And that is just as much as a miracle. I, I'm finding out not only God to save us, but to keep us in this world. And Jesus prayed that, right, in John 17. Keep them from the evil one. Keep them from evil. What a miracle that is. To be in enemy ground and to still be pressing on today. Praise God. And so he felt that reality, for not only for the Corinthian church, but for himself, just to keep pressing on. And so he's, one of the reasons that he's boasting is I think he caught a glimpse not only of heaven, but also God's power and love in keeping him. And you're going to see that like God even felt it was necessary to give him a thorn in the flesh to keep him. That's such a loving thing from the Lord. Not only God to keep him, but in, in the midst of such false teachers, these men, he says they were false. They were boastful. And so just, just giving you a few characteristics of them versus Paul. These super apostles, the Bible called them. Well, there wasn't anything super about them. They were earthly minded, full of wisdom, boasting, visions. Uh, they were peddlers. And they pampered with the Word of God. They twisted it. And uh, they were concerned about money and outward appearance and measuring according to their own standards. And what a contrast to Paul. He, he didn't boast an eloquent wisdom. He, he says he, wasn't an un, he was unskilled in speech. He wasn't skillful there. But he boasted in simplicity and godly sincerity. Christ and Him crucified. Um, we see he boasted in his weakness. And he said about the Word of God, he said, who's sufficient for these things? And he didn't get to a place where he felt like, I've got a pretty good handle on the Old Testament. He said, who's sufficient for these things? Who's sufficient for the Gospel? It's so precious, so profound, so big. But they thought, you know what? We're, I think we've kind of moved past the Gospel now. We need to talk about some visions. We need to talk about some lofty things. And, and Paul's not really doing that. He's not really into that. He's sticking with this Gospel. Christ and Him crucified Him. And we don't really like that. And, and Paul's, Paul's, he's, he's thankful that he's been spared from that. Paul could have been one of these false super apostles and God kept him weak. What a mercy that is in the life of Paul in our own life. So he really felt, that's the first reason, he really felt God's love and mercy in keeping him. That he didn't become conceited like one of these super apostles. Secondly, if you look at verse 19 of 12, You see that he says, Have you been thinking all along that I've been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. All for your upbuilding. So the second reason of why he's starting to, he started to boast was for their upbuilding, for their encouragement. They had been started to kind of be pulled into this thinking of these apostles that you've got to have visions and all these mighty miracles and works. And he tells them for their upbuilding by boasting just a little, though he doesn't want to at all, 
to win them back and win their hearts back. All for their upbuilding, for their encouragement. And love makes us do crazy things. We see this with Paul. Christ's love for him made him do crazy things and also a crazy thing such as even boasting about certain things to win them back. And uh, so those are the two, two things that I see of, of why Paul gets into boasting. To win them back, and he saw too just the danger of falling away and beginning to boast. And I remember I saw that vision, and that, that led him into thinking, and God gave me a thorn as well. What a mercy that was, that not only to give me such a glorious vision, but also the thorn alongside of it to keep me. And you know, it's an amazing reality that this vision, if you look at it briefly, he was caught up to the third heaven, and uh, things he saw things that were he couldn't put into words. So glorious! I love just letting my imagination run with these passages of what it, it might be like. And he didn't say much about it, but uh, that vision wasn't enough to keep him, was it? God also had to give him the thorn, and I thought that's just what a picture into the heart of man that we need a thorn. It wasn't enough, was it, for Paul to have that vision? You would think, see, all those glorious things about Christ would keep him humble, keep him low, but he needed a thorn as well to help him. And uh, so those are the two things. Um, From now on, let's look at these three points in um, what Paul boasted in Not the why, but the what. So I have these three points. God's sovereignty in our suffering. God wanting to hear our praying. And God's sufficient grace in our enduring. And and just a side note, I mean, remember this is this is Paul who really, really loved to boast in being a Pharisee when he was lost. Really loved to talk about everything that he had done. Uh, according to the law, blameless, that sort of thing. And then here you have a, a guy boasting in his weakness. I just love the amazing power of God put on display in Paul's life. Like going from a self-loving Pharisee to someone who is, I would gladly be spent on your behalf. When you're, when, when you're, I'm weak and you're strong, that brings me a lot of joy. And I find that so amazing. So God's sovereignty in our suffering God wanting to hear our praying, and God's sufficient grace in our enduring. There's so much that could be said here in these verses. So may the Lord help me, because I, you know, this didn't just happen in one day. I don't think this was perhaps years of Paul just going through this gut-wrenching reality of God giving him a thorn and not taking it away and learning contentment, and being made weak, and seeing all these lessons, and, and uh, yet he condenses it in these, these few verses for us. And uh, the Lord, so we see the Lord in verse 7. He gave him this thorn. He gave him this thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. And it kept him. Kept him from something way worse. It kept him from coming a false apostle, a super apostle, one who cared little about the church, just about money or, or the, the praise of man. It kept him. So this first point, God's sovereignty in our suffering. What, what a mercy God puts here on display. A mercy, yes. It looks, we might think it looks horrible. Some of you here might think, what, what is the point? Why would God give him such a thorn in the flesh? How is that a mercy? And I just know for myself, brethren, and we're seeing it more every day, just the danger of sin, the evilness of sin, and and the reality of hell, the reality of hell, that something like this that even is so painful would be given and, and made Paul shed so many tears, no doubt. But I'm sure he saw this is a mercy compared to shedding tears for all of eternity. What a mercy that God would do this and keep him from sin, keep him from conceit, keep him from pride. And we also see, wow, I mean, God uses such interesting means. 
Satan, a messenger of Satan, that the father of all pride keeps Paul from pride. I just the irony in that that God would have the ability, the sovereignty, the take pleasure in doing it that way, that he would use such such an evil person to bring about such good and in all of our lives such evil things, yet such good brought from them. We could all attest to that today. What good God has brought out of all these things in our lives. And here's one of the greatest. Satan is just a, just a servant to God. Satan is just a dog on his leash that, is, that he's allowed to do whatever God wants him to do. Just like Job. In your life, Satan is perhaps doing some things, but it's all according to God's plan and purpose. There's not a battle going on in heaven of dualism between God and Satan. God is in perfect control and sovereign over everything. So, Paul eventually saw this this beautiful rose, saw the thorn first, and God, he he brought such good out of it. And uh, faith does that. If you look at chapter 5, you don't have to turn there, but you have that famous verse, we walk by faith not by sight. Not by sight. That's such a a really good thing to learn for all of us, but especially newer Christians. Walk by faith, not by sight. Not by feelings, not what we see. Not what we see these two eyeballs, but by faith. What Don't trust your feelings, but we trust God's Word. And that enabled Paul to look at this and trust God. Faith looks inward. The inward man is being renewed day by day. The outward is decaying. But inwardly, brethren, you're more renewed today than yesterday. Stronger than yesterday. More renewed than yesterday. More like Christ than yesterday. That is a wonderful reality. And God knows what He needed. And uh, we don't know exactly what the the thorn is. You probably want me to get to that point, right? What's this thorn? Um, but many don't know, and I wouldn't even attempt to try and say what it is exactly. Um, just like with the, the vision, it's like the man himself said, I don't know, and then people try and figure out what it was. It's like, if he didn't know, like we're not going to figure it out 2,000 years later. But anyway, um, what was the thorn? We don't know exactly, but it was very painful emotionally, spiritually, physically, extremely painful. And you know, I thought about this. It's, it's interesting that the Lord doesn't tell us because I think if, if we knew what it was, at least me, and just say it was headaches or something, really, really bad headaches. I'm not saying that's it at all, but let's just say it was that. If we had really bad headaches, we'd probably come away from it being like, I got Paul's thorn, but you don't have Paul's thorn. <laughs> So it's just the way we work, isn't it? So God in His wisdom and kindness didn't tell us exactly what it was. But we know Paul wanted to be rid of it, and he pleaded for that. Um, And I was just thinking about this thorn and trying to put myself in Paul's shoes and everything that he had gone through. And and it, it took me back to just some memories with my dad. And my dad went through pancreatic cancer and and just, I was pretty young back then, and, and just seeing a grown man, the most strongest man in the world that I knew, um, who could work longer than me, cut more wood than me, and uh, just on his knees in pain. And uh, just thinking, it was a challenge, brethren. It really, really was a challenge about the goodness of God. How would God, who this, I've seen this man serve every moment of his life, how could he put him through such pain, such miserable pain? And as I've gone on to kindergarten, maybe first and second grade, I don't know, I've begun to see just a little bit of the mercy of God, even in that, just to keep, God, keep my dad all the way to the end and bring him into glory and even using something so painful like that. We just don't know all the ins and outs of everything. We just have to trust Him. Trust His goodness and His love. And later on, or actually before that, before he got cancer, there was 
there was a time in the church where he pastored that things became extremely difficult and there were issues and divisions. And, and my mom told me that he got this really bad ulcer from it. And uh, it just, it was so hard. It gave him this physical ulcer. And, and yet God used it. I have no doubt God used it in his life to keep him to the end. And eternity rather. And I just, eternity. It brings butterflies in my stomach to think about something never ending. And for, for God in His kindness to bring glory, more glory to His name to sanctify us and bring so much of the riches out of something, though it be so hard. That's what we have to focus on. And so that's, that's the first thing that I see is just God's sovereignty in our suffering and Paul being okay with it. Not just okay with it, but rejoicing in it, boasting in it, thankful for it, that God kept him and used everything in his life for his good. So secondly, uh, God wants, us, wants to hear us praying. And you may be thinking, maybe not because I feel like you're, you've been taught so well otherwise, but God's sovereign, why pray, right? Why do we even pray if the Lord is just completely sovereign over everything? And, and I, I just love how the Christian life isn't just, you know, toughening up uh, stoicism and, and just, uh, come on, man, you got to really man up kind of a thing. Paul pleaded. He pleaded three times that the Lord would take this away. And, and if you remember, when Paul was saved in Acts 9, he used that phrase, who are you, Lord? And in this case, he pleaded with the Lord. That same term, and I think it's just that term of endearment to him, and he loved using that term, Lord. And he had seen this, his Lord answered thousands of times, rescuing him, strengthening him, bringing him out of various trials and temptations. And it's just like, Lord, this one too, please? Lord, this thorn as well? And... I think it was every promise he had in the book, he was bringing it to the Lord and saying, Lord, you're, you're full of mercy and kindness, Lord. If I didn't have this thorn, I could serve you better, right? I mean, I think he was arguing and wrestling and ordering every bit of that argument, pleading three times, please, Lord, please, Lord, please take it away. Just like the Lord cried in the garden, Three times, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as You will. Again, the Lord prayed, Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and He will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? And just the... I don't know. I'm just the, the, the reality of that. Just praying, knowing God hears better than anyone. Jesus knew God heard and yet he still prayed it in his humanity asking that that cup would pass that he wouldn't have that that crown of thorns and Paul praying he wouldn't have this thorn in the flesh and yet we see the answer God's grace is sufficient but I just love Paul gives us such an example of going through every We've gone through the same situation. He gives us such a great example for us to follow. God's sovereignty, but yet pleading and praying. I don't want you to come away from this at all, brethren, thinking that, that oh, Evan's saying not to pray or, or not to keep praying. I mean, Paul prayed three times. I think, I don't know if it's just three or if he's using three to just say like it was a lot. I'm not sure, but he prayed a lot about it. And uh, one thing that I feel the Lord is taught me in recent years is to pray promises without doubting don't doubt I feel like I doubt so much about what he has said but then I really pray about things that he hasn't necessarily said and I feel like Lord why aren't you answering those things but he never promised that he wouldn't have a thorn he never promised we wouldn't have trials he never promised that certain people would be saved I know God can do supernatural things like that and give a person that and they're probably not going to tell anyone. <laughs> but with personal matters, to just be careful and submit in these personal matters in your life. To pray and pray fervently. To submit radically. 
with personal matters and, and to be able to leave them in God's hands. I, I feel like that's something God has taught me recently, and I see this from this passage, just Paul pleading and praying. But here's this personal matter within this thorn in his flesh, and a Christian is able to plead and rest when it's all said and done. May God help us in that. So that's my second point there. Paul, he boasted that not only God doesn't give us always what we want, but just he knows best, and he loves to hear us pray, though. You know, I, I, sometimes I think trials are just there to make us learn how to pray. Just to learn how to pray and cry out and groan to God and call upon Him. You know, brethren, I, I, know, I know it was kind of a new system there with the prayer and fasting. Um, and, I, and I know there's very... I'm not trying to, to put any condemnation on you, but I was just... I guess I, I was just surprised that we all didn't put something in the prayer and fasting that we all didn't put something in there. And, and it's a good question to ask yourself. And, and maybe you told someone, I know there could be many reasons there. I'm, again, I don't want to put any condemnation there, but why not have the whole church praying about a matter that you want something that, God, that you want God to do? So Lord, help us in praying, pleading for things. But so we see the Lord always answers, doesn't He? And so... The third point is the sufficiency of, of His grace in our enduring. We see that verse in verse 9 and 10. So I'm going to run through these things real quickly in verse 9 and 10 just to kind of see what's going on and then pull some applications from them. So he says, but he, he said to me, but He said to me, verse 9, and I love this, just this personal answer to Paul. He said to me, we can always expect God to answer. And uh, I don't remember it exactly, but I think it was uh, Brother Durham just saying how like God always answers, but sometimes it's, it's just not what we expect. Sometimes it's a no or a yes or a not yet and, uh, or in a different way. And so God did answer him, but it was in a different way. And so he said to him, my grace is enough. And that's what it looks like in the Greek. They don't quite have the right word for this when, when it says, but He said to me, it's like, it's enough. But He said, and it's enough. My grace, not just like favor in general, but like grace imparted. Actual grace of God imparted to Paul to endure, to, to be sufficient for him. Yes, Paul, this thorn is going to endure, but my grace is going to be enduring as well. It's not going to be taken away. It's never going to fail you. It's going to be strength for every day of your life. The thorn still remains, but my grace all the more will remain upon you. And it reminded me of that hymn day by day. The, it says, The protection of His child and treasure is a charge that on Himself He laid. As your days, your strength shall be in measure. This is the pledge to to me he made it's this personal pledge to you christian i've got you my grace is sufficient for you i've i've made a pledge according to my own character that i will not let you go paul my grace is going to be for su sufficient for you it's going to enable you to keep going on and so when we step out in faith and trust God and take it at His Word, walk by faith, not by sight, because we're not, we're not going to see the grace until we press forward, until we move forward in faith, right? We can't sit there and, and expect God's going to do it for us. But once we take that step in faith, the grace of God is right there to meet us and to help us. So moving on there, it says for this conjunction for this reality. God is saying, I'm doing it in a way that's not like man's way. I know there's these super apostles. There's these men that rely on worldly wisdom and all these things, but Paul, you're my apostle and I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to do it differently. differently for my, my power is perfected in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Power made perfect in weakness. And 
I couldn't think of a better example of this in the Old, in the Old Testament in Judges 6. So turn there real quick and uh, look at this story of Gideon. So Judges chapter 6. So I didn't even tell you. I just expected you to know. You should know Judges chapter 6. <laughs> Judges chapter 6. Uh, the call of Gideon. And we can just read in verse 15, Judges 6, 15, And he said to him, Gideon, Please, Lord, how could I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So, the weakest, the least. If you turn the page, Gideon, he asks twice. You know, he puts the fleece out there. Make, make the fleece wet. And then he says, Lord, could you do it again, please? And make the fleece dry and everything else wet. You just see like Gideon's weakness and the Lord's patience. And then chapter 7. There's 22,000 of them. And now 10,000 remain because some were fearful. And God said, I don't want anyone fearful and trembling. So now there's just 10,000. About half of them were cut down. And the Lord said to Gideon, verse 4 of chapter 7, the people are still too many. Take, take them down to the water and I will test them for you there. And, and any, any one of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And any of whom I say, sorry, shall go with you. And any one of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by, by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink and the number of those who lapped, putting their head to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the people go every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but, re- but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. Now what were they up against? It says in verse 12, And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like lo- locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. What an amazing picture. 300 men defeated this army without number. Power was made perfect in weakness. So you can turn back to 2 Corinthians 12. Paul says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Plural. So rather than the affliction being removed rather than these, these human powers, the things that the apostles boasted about, more gladly, I'm going to boast of my weaknesses. And this, this word is even more than that. It's like to, to take delight in, to relish in, in my weaknesses. That's quite a thought. But God gave power to Paul, the ability to Paul to be able to do this, to, to relish in his weaknesses because he caught, a, he, he, caught, he caught a glimpse of God's ability, God's power that was displayed just like the, uh, those in, in Judges, Gideon and, and their armies. He loved the fact that God was going to get more power out of his weaknesses. So he says, moving on, rather boast in my infirmities, not these revelations, nothing I don't want to boast in anything else, but in my weaknesses, that's my glory, that's my boast, that's what God's going to use to be glorified, to be made bigger, to be magnified. And we also see, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me, or have its residence upon me, tabernacle. And if you look at chapter 7, verse 16, God says the same thing. It's an Old Testament passage. and He says, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be My people. Throughout this whole letter, just Christ in you, that fact, that reality, Paul just loves to talk about it. Christ in you. If you've forgotten about that Christian, I just want to remind you real quick, Christ is in you. 
If you're a Christian, Christ is in you. And he's, he's in you. Paul says, I boast in my weakness because I want Christ to be in me. I want His power to dwell on me more and more and more. And that's God's way. That's how we set it up. The weaker we become, the more God says, okay, I can use you now. You're getting more and more weak, just like those there with Gideon. Now you're 300. Okay, now I, now I can do something with you. That's how God has set things up. So verse 10, he says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am well content because of this. He's content because of this, even this relation that I've been talking about, about human weakness and God's power. He's well content with that. He's quite happy about that. And that word content's not the best word. You could actually, if you look at it, Matthew 3.17 is the same word there. It's actually to be pleased. It says there in Matthew, when the Lord is baptized, it says that, uh, behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. That's the Father God talking about His Son saying, I'm well pleased with Him. I love him. I'm taking pleasure in him. And, and Paul's able to say, yes, I take pleasure in this because of Christ, for the sake of Christ. The psalmist says, magnify the Lord with me. And so, pulling that phrase in as well, our weaknesses magnify the Lord. That's why we can boast in them. They make him look bigger and better than anything else in the world. I love that. If that's, that, that should be our one aim, to make Christ look great every day. And if God brings us weakness, praise God. It'll be all the better. It's, it's, I love how in different military or, or battlefields, you've got the, the guy running up who's weaker, and they're, they're meeting in the middle to discuss terms. And he comes up and he says, now, if you guys surrender right now, we won't harm you and you'll, you can go free. And it's just like, you've got 300 men. Like, what are you going to do? Well, that power gets displayed. And I love that. I mean, brethren, that's who we are. We're going up to things much greater than us, sin, the world, the devil, and we're saying, we're calling them out. We're saying, Christ is behind me. I'm coming in the name of the Lord Jesus, and He's more powerful than anything. And in that weakness, God gets displayed. His, his power gets displayed like nothing else. I love that. So every weakness, Christian, every weakness in your life, it's an opportunity to see Christ's power displayed. Think of it that way. His power unfold in your life. Not as a as a hindrance, not as something you just, you just want to get rid of. God may take that away, but it also could be a really amazing opportunity to show Christ's power, to put Him on display before the whole world. So, a few applications here coming to a close from these verses. The first one is, our faith, the proof of our faith is very valuable. Paul saw that. Just for our faith to be tested and proven, to go through trials, and to come out of them with your faith tested and come out as gold, that's very valuable to the Lord. And in Paul's vision, he probably saw beings and angels and, and all kinds of amazing things. But, you know, brethren, one, one thought that I've had is no one else in heaven has the opportunity that we have right now in that we can bring honor to the Lord by going through our trials in a, in a pleasing way to Him. Like you have the opportunity to go through your trial right now and glorify Him like no one in heaven because they're not, they're not here. We're still in this battleground and we have this privilege to bring Him glory here in front of all of His enemies, in front of Satan. I mean, He lost Satan thought, oh yeah, great, I'm really going to get at Paul now. And he lost. And what a privilege. We get to fight for Christ. We get to defeat His enemies. And we get to prove them wrong because of the power of Christ in us. 
And we get to bring a special glory and honor to Him. Number two, to do the will of God is always so much better. It's always better. To be a, to be a Christian is to do the will of God. And I just love that reality. We get to do the will of God. Paul, he did the will of God here. He, he suffered through this. He was content through this. He was glad through this. And to do the will of God is always better. Number three, Paul was, he was well pleased in his weaknesses because it, it's the way to victory. Contentment is the way to victory. God chose David. He was the smallest of them all. And like I mentioned with Gideon. And, uh, you know, brethren, I think Paul is saying here, the content, the weak people, they're going to win the world. They're the ones trusting in Christ, content in Christ, resting in Christ. They're the ones who are going to win the world and turn it upside down. Just like this Christians in Acts, right? They were content. They were in love with Christ. And they were giving of everything. And the world is just like, what is wrong with these people? Are they drunk? What, what's up with these people? They're rejoicing in their suffering. They're boasting in their weaknesses. Does the world, does the world look at us and think we're weird? I hope so. They should, because we're not normal. We're a unique people. And we boast like Paul in our weaknesses. Not, not always perfect, but God helps us. And uh, that's, that's the way to victory, to gaining ground for Christ. And I took this um, philosophy class a couple years ago, and I didn't really listen too well, so I don't remember the name of the guy who came up with this. But um, uh, he came up with this law that you can't move without an immovable object. And it basically means like for, in order for you all to stand up, the ground has to be immovable, solid. Like we can't move if the ground's going to move out from under us. And it's the same with being content in Christ. We won't get anywhere, brethren, if we can't be content in Christ. I feel that in my own heart, and I'm thankful for that as God has brought more, more to fruition in that, making me more content in Christ, and it's, it enables us to move forward. If your heart isn't content, where there's this immovable reality in your heart towards Christ, you won't get anywhere. I know God is able to bring the Christian forward, but just that principle there, He brings that about. So, these super apostles, they wanted this power. They wanted all these visions, and they never got it because weakness is the way. Weakness is the way, brethren. That's how God has set it up. That's what He brought Paul through. I love that verse in Psalms 46. It says, Be still and know that I am God. That's what we're talking about. Is Paul was able to just be still and trust Christ and rest in Him, who He is, His sovereignty, His love, His goodness. At the end of his praying, he got his answer and he was able to just rest in Christ, trust Him. Number four, we must put our soul first. Paul did that. His, his soul's needs first. Yes, the trial's still there, but my soul's better for it. My soul's better for it. And that's, that's a precious thing. Uh, number five, God answers, but it's, it's different than what we expect. And I mentioned that a little bit um, earlier, but I, I love this reality, just that God doesn't always give us what we want or it's in a different way for our good. And you know, years ago, I... I I've, I thought, I just, I really wanted a family. And I didn't think that my first two sons would be Shane, and I, Chris is working today, but those are my sons. And I love them to death. And uh, I wouldn't want it any other way. God, He answers, but it's always, it's a little bit different than what we expect, expect sometimes. And they, don't, they come with different names than what you expected. And so I'm really thankful for that. God answering, but for our good always. Always for our good. Number six. And this kind of ties in with the rest of them, rest of them, but I just felt like I needed to emphasize it some more. Just the, the preciousness of souls. If our weaknesses, brethren, help us win more souls, what a precious reality. What privilege that is. If your weakness makes you a little bit more tender to talk to someone, makes you 
have an, an opportunity or an experience that wins them and makes Christ look more precious. You've gone through some trials. You, know, you, you don't share the gospel in just the same way, do you? You share it a little bit more loving and kind and, and gentle. You don't beat them over the head with it. And if you go through weaknesses and trials, and that helps you win souls, souls that are going to perish for all of eternity, there's nothing better than that. Nothing greater than that. May God help us win souls. And I, I really think this is one of the ways Paul was able to, to help these Corinthians. Paul was able to, to press on and, and win them. I mean, just, you just, he's a, a master wooer of souls as you read about Paul, just compelling and loving them and pulling them in. I just love that about Paul. And it no doubt had to do with all the things that he had gone through. Getting less of self, less of pride, all that nastiness gone where God was able to use him and just make Christ look all the better, all the, the more sweet and fragrant. So bring it all to a close, brethren. I, I uh, really love this passage. It's, it's meant a lot to me over the years and just love how God gave us an example of Paul working through such a, a real-life situation and how he faced it and found that the Lord is sovereign in our suffering and he, he wants us to be praying and His grace is sufficient for our enduring. And all the things that are, are happening in our church right now, brethren, I, I just think it would be really, really good. I'm going to strive to do it this way. To think about our weaknesses as opportunities to make Christ look better. Christ more glorious. Those people over there, they're a bunch of weak people, but man, they're getting a lot done. <laughs> God's power is displayed in them. And uh, yeah, and so closing, I, I know the elders would completely agree with the fact that boasting is worthless. But the Bible does say that we can let another one praise you. And so I would, I would just like to take this opportunity to thank the Lord for our five elders. Tim and John, Craig, James and Jeff. Where's Jeff here? Oh, there he is. <laughs> oh, thank you, brother, for all those studies. Thank you for... I remember when I was sitting in his house and we were talking about the sovereignty of God. It was all these lofty terms and... You know, you think, you think doctrine and, sadly, I feel ashamed to say this, but doctrine and systematic theology can kind of be, man, some big stuff. You kind of get, get through it, rack your brain. It's hard. can be laborious. But that was some of the glorious times. I just remember weeping. I don't think anyone noticed, but I was weeping when you were talking about sovereignty. And that's the only answer when we go through hard things is God is sovereign and He loves us. And Craig, I just I thank you for being able to call you and talk with you and, and the trials that you had gone through. And, and there's just such a fragrance and a comfort. And this, this book is a lot about comfort. Comfort. And in 7.4, you know, Paul didn't get what he wanted, but he did get a lot of comfort. He says, I am filled with comfort in all our affliction. I am overflowing with joy. He got that. God granted him that. So thank you for that, brother. And James, thanks for letting me come over. You know, this, this letter is about our upbuilding. James built a building for upbuilding for that very purpose. And uh, I'm so thankful for that. So I wanted, I can't really put it into words, just John and, and Tim as well, but especially these, these three men here, I feel have been through a lot, been through a lot lately. And I just wanted to, to read some things that I kind of pulled from this letter. And I know you all love, love our elders. I'm not, I, my love is pitiful compared to yours. But in this letter it says, I think, you know, I think we could all say this, it's all been for our upbuilding. I stand here able to go to Nepal because of the grace of God from these men and from, from you all. It's all because of, of you. God's grace through you all. And this, this church has preserved my soul. 
And so, who could say here that these three men have not daily bore the pressure and the anxiety of this church? Or not been weak when there's a weak member? Or has had not had the intense concern when someone fell into sin? What a privilege to have these shepherds who are glad to spend and be spent on our behalf. Who have sleepless nights because of the state of our souls. Who have been beaten times without number by the devil who would seek to discourage them. Who have been seen many shipwrecked yet labor on. Being elders, they have, have to face the reality of their families being under greater attack. Yet pour themselves out for our families and for our marriages. Regarding others is more important. They have pushed through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Praise the Lord, brethren. We have such, such a blessing. We've been given such privileges here in this church. God's grace has been displayed in our lives and especially in these elders. I thank God for them. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. Well, that's all I had, brethren. I sure love you. And uh, if I've wronged someone and haven't asked for forgiveness, please forgive me. I love you all. This last verse in this letter, it says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So may God help us to boast in the same way Paul did. Amen. Father, I just thank you for thank you for this time and thank you for your word. I'm so glad I don't we're not here to talk about our own opinions, but the word of God and what you've given us. Thank you for these elders and all that they've done for me and all that they've been through and how you've kept them how You've sustained them. Lord, I thank You for all the deacons here. How You've encouraged them and empowered them to serve and serve and serve again. Things that we all probably don't notice. Lord, I thank You for every, every believer here. Every dear saint. Lord, the majestic ones, the psalmist said. Thank You for each one here and how they, how they have encouraged me. Lord, just think of that song. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Amen.